Gracious God, we thank you for today. And we thank you that we have the opportunity to worship you freely. We have the opportunity to gather here together in community. And thank you for the way that you're working all things for the good uh, of those who love you. So God, as we walk through this journey called faith, uh, through the ebb and flow, the highs and lows, the fire and the, and the, and the flame, God, we ask that you would uh, continue to be sovereign over us. We know that mentally. Uh, it's in the times that we're struggling that uh, that's not always easy to remember. Uh, but we, we rely on you during those times because we know that uh, when we persevere uh, and that we, re we remain faithful, uh, you are good and uh, your, uh, your plan is revealed uh, through that. We uh, pray for those uh, who lost loved ones over the last couple weeks and ask that you're with them uh, in their grief as they, um, as they uh, go through that process. God, we pray for your comfort and your wisdom and your spirit to support them. God, we pray for uh, the, those that have started up uh, college this week. Uh, we pray that they've had a good first week and for those that were just heading out this week to begin their college journey. God, we pray you're with them and give them a great year. And we pray for teachers who are heading back to school this year. Uh, God, I pray that it's a, a little bit better than it was last year. Um, God, I pray that you give, uh, give teachers endurance, give them patience. God, give them the ability to teach and do the things that, and the gifts that they do well. And God, we pray that uh, all the uh, uh, logistics about how to navigate this year uh, God, that people don't take that personally and are, are defensive, but God, give us, give everybody, uh, our leaders, our authorities, great wisdom on how to navigate. Uh, we're in uncharted waters, and we continue to try to figure that out, and we want to keep everybody safe. Help us to do our part in uh, not complaining, uh, but rather uh, trusting that uh, you're in control and uh, that you put people in place to help lead us and guide us for our good. Uh, so we trust that all in your hands this morning. And we ask this in your son's name. Amen. <clears throat> so I'm going to be honest. I found myself struggling a bit preparing for the message today. And, and the message, uh, the struggle was not because of time or, or distractions or lack of preparation. I struggled because what the scripture is telling us this morning. This summer we've been looking at the Beatitudes and it's, and the Beatitudes is a portion of the first sermon that Jesus ever preached. And the essence of that sermon taught what it really meant to follow Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about following Jesus like you might follow someone on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. You know, we follow them for, you know, for a good pick or a good wisdom or a good idea, a little soundbite, and then we unfriend them when we don't like what they have to say. <clears throat> um, I'm not talking about following Jesus as a fan, the cool, popular Jesus guy. What Jesus meant by following him was to embrace his message and his ways and his life. And to follow Jesus means to become like Jesus, to live for Jesus, to represent Jesus, and to be rejected by Jesus. Here's our scripture this morning that we read in Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12. 
Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Here was my struggle with this. I'm supposed to be happy when I'm persecuted, insulted, or people spread false rumors about me? <laughs> and I'm supposed to tell others to be happy when they're persecuted, insulted, and when people tell, spread false rumors about them? I mean, I mean talk about being the bearer of bad news. <laughs> talk about the messenger getting shot. <laughs> I'm wondering what it's going to feel like after the service today. Usually we stand out in the hallway and everyone walks out and they say, great message, pastor, great message, pastor. I know what's going to happen today. You're going to do the aerobic hide walk. You're going to be like, get right out of here. <laughs> I mean, who wants to hear a message like that? Friends, this is not a feel-good message this morning. It's one of the hard sayings of Jesus. But I promise you this. It's true, and it's life-giving. And if you stay with me, we'll see hope that we, have that we have in Jesus in the end. You do that? Give me 20 minutes. You don't have a choice. I got the mic, all right? So we're going to give it a shot. <laughs> Here's what this passage says to us this morning. First, you will most likely experience suffering for following Jesus. You will most likely experience suffering for following Jesus. What did Jesus mean by suffering because of righteousness? Jesus is not talking about some kind of hardship. Maybe the stock market goes bad or we have some bad investments and we crash our lives financially. That's not the suffering that we're talking about here. And we're not talking about people who have ridiculed you on Facebook because of your political views. That's not the suffering that Jesus is talking about. And Jesus is not talking about the bad things that are happening to good people. As humans, we automatically experience those bad things because we're human and there's brokenness in the world. Jesus is not talking about that. What Jesus is talking about in this beatitude is suffering because of righteousness. Now, righteousness has two parts. First, it's the gift that we receive through God's grace. God is a just God. And by trusting Jesus for the forgiveness of our sin, God no longer sees us as guilty. He declares us just before him. Now that's the first part of righteousness. We can't earn God's favor by what we do. We receive God's favor through Jesus. But here's the second part of that righteousness. The second part of righteousness is the transformation that happens becoming righteous as we follow Jesus. See, we come to faith, we leave this old life behind and we start taking on the new life of Jesus. And as we take on that new life of Jesus, that is becoming more righteous. Now, this happens um, as we are learning and we're transforming it that we receive from the Holy Spirit. And the more that we follow Jesus, the more we become like him. 
we become righteous. Does that make sense? Do we see that? Okay. So what Jesus is talking about then is suffering for becoming more like Jesus. Suffering for following Jesus' ways. It's essentially suffering for following and living out the very beatitudes that we have studied this summer. So if you, as a believer, hunger and thirst for righteousness, the right ways of God, you might suffer for that. Or if, you, uh, if you're seeking to be a peacemaker, or if you're seeking to be merciful to others, or you're seeking about cultivating a pure heart, Jesus is saying that you may be rejected and you may be mocked and you may be insulted for doing it. What does rejection, suffering for righteousness look like? There's a variety of ways. A couple stories I want to share with you. I remember my roommate in college, a couple, for two, three years out of college, and he was working for a technology company uh, that sold uh, postage, uh, meter, uh, meter postage and, and meter equipment in order to get mail out. And he was, a, uh, he was the representative for a client uh, who was distributing pornography through the mail. And when he found out that's what, it, what, what, he was, that's what he was doing, he decided that he wasn't going to handle that account. And he handed that account off back to his supervisor. And his supervisor was not happy. And he took a lot of heat for that. He took a lot of ridicule for that. Suffering for righteousness. Suffering for righteousness can look like a variety of things. It might look like when one spouse has decided to follow Jesus and the other spouse belittles them with words and actions for their faith. Suffering for righteousness might look like when a student makes a decision to be sexually pure and then being called a prude for standing by that decision when the opportunity to not, to, to not be pure presents itself. Or maybe suffering for righteous might look like losing friends because they think they, you are too good of a person or too weird and one of those religious fanatics and you lose a friend in the process because you're one of those religious freaks. Part of my struggle this week was that in reality, we're fortunate to live in a country where persecution is more often in the form of verbal attacks or rejection rather than some kind of physical attack. But there are places in the world where Christians are so conspicuous in their culture as agents of salt and light that some are being killed for their faith. Some gather in secret in some countries because it's illegal to worship God. It brings reality to the words of Jesus in Matthew 24, 9, where he says, you can expect to be persecuted, even killed, for you will be hated by all the nations because of your love for me. I read this week that in some countries, uh, the pandemic has enabled religious persecution through relief discrimination and forced conversion. In other words, some Christians have been told that they would be denied aid from their government because their church or their God should feed them. Can you picture a country being shut down with no aid, no resources, and then being told, let your God figure it out for you and not receiving aid? That's a persecution. 
Someone sent me a meme on a Facebook meme this week that said this. In a church in Afghanistan, you might hear this. We will likely gather and like we will gather and we will likely die. While in church in America, you might hear, we will gather unless there is a cookout, birthday party, chance of rain, a nice day, or I'm a little tired or something. <laughs> I was convicted by that. Do I live too comfortable as a Christian when my brothers and sisters in other parts of the world are being persecuted for their faith? Would I be willing to die for my faith? And as I was thinking about that and ready to respond with a resounding yes, I'll do anything for you, Jesus, I got the, the nudge. Does everyone know what I'm talking about when I talk about the nudge? <laughs> it's like, hold on, buddy, wait a minute. <laughs> and here's what I was sensing from Jesus. You would die for me, but you haven't forgiven and loved some of your enemies for me? How could you say you'd be willing to go to the ultimate death when you don't even put the death the anger that you have for your enemy. Wow. Are we as a church too comfortable? Are we missing an opportunity? Is there an area in your life where God is raising to the surface for you this morning? I'm not attempting to browbeat or make you feel guilty with these questions, but it's an opportunity that we should stop and examine ourselves and examine our community in light of what Jesus is saying. Because if we don't, it's the equivalent of letting Jesus' words go in one ear and right out the other. We essentially miss the opportunity to allow God to transform the areas of our life that need work because it's too uncomfortable to let God do the work in our heart. Now hear me well, please. I'm not saying that we need to go out and add suffering to our resume as a Christian. We don't have to go looking for suffering. And we're not considered better having suffered. That's not what this passage is saying. What this passage is telling us is that we have to know that we will most likely experience suffering for following Jesus. And by knowing that, it prepares us for when it happens so that there's no surprises, so that we're not caught off guard. It's possible. Is it guaranteed? Don't know. Your situation may be different than mine, but we should be prepared, and we should hear the words that Jesus has said in his word. Here's the second thing that this passage teaches us. Suffering is the result of a clash between worldly values and the kingdom of God. You might be wondering, why is there suffering? I, I became a Christian because I wanted to get away from all that. We live in a country where there's religious freedom. Can't people believe and live the way they want to? Or maybe you're thinking, if God is, above, is about, all about love and serving, why would people reject that? The reason is that it's so much bigger than you and me. We are simply the reflection the representation of a class between two irreconcilable value systems. Last week, we talked about peacemaking, and, and Christy talked about the fall of humanity that we read in the book of Genesis, in Genesis 3. 
And it's when sin affected humanity and resulted in this battle, this lifelong battle of good and evil throughout the ages. God, the creator, establishes the value that his creation should live by. And these values are not meant to control or to make life miserable for us. They're values that give life. Yet humanity doesn't agree with that. Humanity wants to establish their own values. They want to be God themselves. And humanity is essentially saying, I don't need a creator. I can create my own way and I can create my own values. And throughout history, we see those who embrace God as the creator and, his, and those values and those who insist life is better without God. And those who insist on life without God don't find a righteous God attractive. A righteous God is an offense to humanity because it would mean giving up their position, their control, their perceived power, and for that would mean loss. Yet Jesus says whoever finds their life in him will lose it, and whoever loses their life in him will find it. In his pursuit of us, God's pursuit of us, and I'm not talking about him chasing us. We're not talking about a high-speed chase here. It's him calling us back. God sends his son, Jesus, to redeem the world from its sin. And while Jesus had a following, there were some who saw Jesus as a threat to their position and their control and their power. So what did they do? They doubled down on the only values they knew to protect what they had, and they killed Jesus. Here's the problem for them and the hope for us. When Jesus entered the world, he established his kingdom. He established his reign. It was not a physical kingdom, but a spiritual kingdom. And as more people became part of the kingdom of God, the more resistance comes from the world because the world hates the idea of losing what position, control, and power that they have. Some would rather be their own God and die than to surrender to, their, to the will of God and live for eternity. Do you see the dichotomy? Do you see the tension? Do you see the problem? Jesus said this to his disciples in John 15. He says, if the world hates you, know that it hated, it me, hated me before it hated you. And if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word I said to you, a servant is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. See, as Christians, we are the physical living representation of Jesus to the world. And for the world to see that representation, they oppose it to, to protect their freedom and their value system. So in a way, it is about us, but really it's a bigger issue they're hating Jesus because of what he stands for and what they potentially need to give up rather than just an attack on us. Dallas Willard says this. He says, 
Those who are persecuted often not only suffer momentary harassment, but see their lives ruined or are, simp are killed simply for refusing to be compliant with what is wrong. Compliant with what is wrong. We are rejected because Jesus was rejected. We suffer because Jesus suffered. Suffered is the mark, suffering is the mark of Christian discipleship. We endure that suffering for the hope that while we are rejected by some, others might come to know Jesus and enter into the kingdom of God. Here's a question to think about for a moment in your own life. Do others see a clear representation of Jesus through you? Or is that image blurred by how we are living or not living out our faith? I don't have an answer for you. It's something to think about this week as you're processing the words here that we're hearing today. But here's the hope. Here's the good news. I shared the bad news. Bad news first. Here's the good news. We should embrace suffering not as a curse, but as a reward. This is the hope that we have in Jesus. Rejoice and be glad for your suffering. Why? Because Jesus says, great is your reward in heaven. Think about that for a minute. You're on the team. You are in the band. Jesus sees you as an heir to the kingdom. Here's what it says in Romans 8, 17. It says, and since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share in his suffering. When we experience suffering for righteousness, it's not just because we're heirs of the kingdom. It reveals that we are a genuine, authentic representation of Jesus. It means that you are the real deal. One of the biggest hang-ups that people have about Christianity is that they believe that Christians are not authentic, that they're fake. But if we're pursuing righteousness, if we're living God's way instead of our own way, that is the mark of a Christian disciple. You are right where God wants you, doing exactly what he is calling you to be. There's nothing phony about that. Friends, if you're here this morning or if you're online watching us, tuning in this morning, and you're investigating what it means to be a Christian, I hope you're hearing this right now. If you're looking for authenticity in Christianity, look at those who are pursuing righteousness and even suffering for it. They're not crazy. They're not putting on a show. They're not wavering in what they believe. They are true followers of Jesus. They are fully developed worshipers and servants of Christ. Friends, if you're suffering for righteousness, be glad. You're a kingdom builder. The apostles experienced this when they were doing ministry in Jerusalem back in the book of Acts. They're telling people about Jesus. They're healing people and huge crowds are coming to them. And the religious leaders are watching this and they're having a fit. Why? Because their power and their control is going to get usurped. So they have the, the apostles arrested. They threw them in jail. But they didn't stay in jail because an angel showed up and they broke them out of jail. And when the religious leaders realized 
that they weren't just fighting man, the apostles, but they were fighting God. They beat him up a little bit, and they let him go. And here's what the, here was the response of the apostle, uh, what, what it says about the, the apostles in Acts 5.41. It says, The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace in the name of Jesus. Friends, here's the big idea this morning. Righteous suffering reveals we are true heirs of the kingdom of God. Hear that. Righteous suffering reveals that we are true heirs of the kingdom of God. How do we respond to persecution? First, embrace it. Don't, don't push it away. Embrace it. Embrace it mentally first. Embrace it in the heart, spiritually second, and then physically embrace it. Why? Because it reveals that you are pursuing righteousness, that God's kingdom is at work and is advancing because of what you're representing and reflecting to the world. So some things to think about if you're dealing with persecution. First, pray. Pray for protection. Pray for wisdom. Ask God to give you the endurance. Second, don't retaliate. If somebody insults you, if someone persecutes you, if someone makes fun of you or someone rejects you, don't retaliate. You actually prove their point when we do that. Yet if we respond in love, salt, light of the earth, it's radically different than what people who are persecuting us are expecting us to do. Look ahead. We often think about our circumstances in the now, in the here and now. To embrace this teaching of Jesus, we have to look that it's not just in this moment that our, that our salvation is secure, but it's in eternity it's with God in the kingdom when we leave this world. It's why Paul said in Philippians, to live is Christ. If I live today, no matter what happens to me, it's Christ. It's what Christ called me to do. But then he says, to die is gain. So if something happens to us, being persecuted for righteousness, tragic and sad, and certainly don't want to have to go through that, but we gain Christ in the process. Does that make sense? So pray, don't retaliate, look ahead. Let others support you. The church should be a community for us as we go through that times of challenge and suffering. Let the church pray for you. That's why we have small groups. That's why we have Bible studies. It's an opportunity for us to come alongside each other for encouragement and support to let people know that we're not crazy, to keep fighting the fight. That's the body of Christ at work together. If you're not in a small group and you're trying to do this Christian walk by yourself, friends, you're missing a big part. Join a small group. Men's Bible study is starting up this fall. Women's Bible study is starting up this fall. Small groups are starting up this fall. This is a great opportunity to get involved and be part of something bigger than yourself.
And then finally, don't give up. Keep going. The Psalms tell us, though, the sorrow lasts through the night, the joy comes in the morning. The suffering will be temporary. The reward is eternal, right? Righteous suffering reveals that we are true heirs of the kingdom of God. May you have your security today in the fact that you are an heir of the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Gracious God, I, I confess that I need you, that we need you. Every hour and of every day, we need you. You are our breath of life. You're our defense. And you're our righteousness. God, we thank you that despite whatever challenge or suffering that we may face or endure, we know that you are our protector through that time. And God, we trust and we rely on the hope that we heard today that if we, as we suffer, we are, it's a reminder, it's a, it's a, uh, uh, a confirmation that we are heirs of the kingdom of God. So God, let us celebrate that today. And let us rely on you to continue to move us forward, to trust you, to walk with you, to love you, and to share others with you. Regardless of whether we are congratulated or we are cursed. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.